You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. And today we have one hell of a podcast. We're joined today by Lance O'Green. He's a Michigan native. And today's podcast is about fulfilling a promise that he made to his brother. Uh, And that's all I really want to say. I want the, the podcast itself to do the talking and um, it's just a really good podcast it's about hunting it's about family it's about tragedy and it's about coming through tragedy um, with happiness on the back end and that's all I really want to say about that so today's podcast that's what it's about it's just a kick-ass podcast this weekend man was a crazy weekend uh, as far as family is concerned just we started off Friday with a mushroom party and I'm not talking about like a mushroom party where everybody takes psychedelic mushrooms and like blacks out for eight hours. I'm talking about morel mushrooms. Uh, my buddy found a whole bunch of them. He was gracious enough to bring them over to my house. We fried them up, had some friends over, had some beer, had some laughs, had a good time. And that is what it's all about. And then the weekend got busy. Saturday was a crazy, a crazy day. Today was a crazy day. Um, but the good thing about Saturday was, although it was crazy in the morning, my daughter went to a sleepover. My son went to go spend the night at his grandpa's. And then my youngest son went to bed early. So that meant mommy and daddy had some time where all we had to do was just sit down and talk to each other uh, uninterrupted um, talk about life talk about things that piss us off talk just like have a really good conversation and I know this isn't a therapy podcast but when life gets hectic and you forget like for our family the core of our family is me and my wife and if that relationship right there isn't at a in all time and like isn't good all the time then it starts to crumble in other places so it was good to just sit down and talk with her and you know I don't know just it felt good um shared some beers shared some laughs we even shared a, a, a cigar because the bugs were so bad and we didn't have any citronella candles 
I had an old cigar in my truck from like two or three turkey seasons ago, and I lit it up, passed it back and forth. That kept the gnats away, and it was a good night. Today, I got out. Today's Sunday uh, when I edit this, but I got out, got to go fishing for about 10 or 13, 10 to 15 casts. I caught two bluegill. I lost two huge bass. Um, I'm pretty disappointed in that, but I got out. I got to say I went fishing, got to spend some time outside with all three of my kids. And, you know, as far as weekends are concerned, yes, it was busy, but today, this weekend was a good weekend. Um, happy for that and I just can't wait for summer to get rocking and rolling and I can get out there and start just spending time outside with a family and in the next two weeks before I take my wife to vacation on vacation to California I got some work to do man I got to set out mineral and I got to set up some trail cameras and uh, I got to do that as soon as possible because Velvet Fest is almost here. The Velvet Rut, my friends. It is literally one of my favorite times of year where I let the, you know, I put the trail cameras out for a couple months and I go check them and you just see what deer show back up. I, I, I'm just getting fired up talking about it to the point where I can take the SD card, slip it into my computer and go through and Oh, there's there's a big one. Oh, yep, that's him from. Oh, I got a picture of him from last year and the year before. Oh, he's a he was an eight pointer. Oh, now he's a ten pointer or a nine pointer. Blah blah blah. And all these things go. Where's his core range? And it's that time of year when all cylinders start to fire and you start getting fired up for the season. I know I got a lot of work to do. I feel like I'm behind schedule not only with my equipment but my preparation for the season as well. So that is going to be coming up here pretty soon. And I got to get it done fast because in the next three months, I got to be prepared not only physically, but from a gear standpoint for my elk hunt in Colorado. That is the first, uh, the first week in September. And I'm still fat and I'm still out of shape. So I got a long way to go in that department as well. So there's that. Uh, today's commercial today's commercial let's see lone wolf tree stands man what a perfect what a perfect segue into a, a company that makes kick-ass tree stands and i'm not talking about just a, a tree stand that gets the job done it is a tree stand that is was built specifically for run and gun hunting and for being mobile which is a huge huge piece of hunting mature bucks mature whitetails and that is you have to be mobile to go where the deer are at and set up in trees that are not straight you have to be in the right tree not a tree that will fit your tree stand so uh please go check out lone wolf tree stands at lonewolfhuntingproducts.com and you can use the discount code 9fc50 and you will get $50 off of all orders over $200. Take take advantage of that. So, with that said, let's get into today's podcast with Lance O'Green. All right, on the phone with me, Mr. Lance O'Green. How you doing, man? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. I don't know about you, but 
like this time of year for me is just kind of like refining my equipment, checking on it, make it, making sure that it is, uh, you know, up to date or, you know, safe. Like I'm looking at my tree stand straps, making sure they are, um, they're safe looking at my arrows, seeing if I need to like strip the fletchings off them and refletch them if they're straight, all that stuff. And <laughs> for some reason today, I've been thinking a lot about sights and whether I'm going to use a one pin sight with like an adjustable dial on it or a multi pin sight with like a 20, 30, 40, 50 and 60 pin on it. And, you know, I have an elk hunt that's coming up and I have a, um, uh, and then hopefully I can just use all of that same equipment for my whitetail season. So I've been doing a, a lot of, you know, thinking about my setup going into that elk hunt in September. Is now for you, uh, I guess, that time of year where you start looking in, in gear or is that later on in the summer? No, now's the time for me for sure. I'm, I'm typically in the same boat you are. I'm, I'm actually a bit behind schedule right now. I just had a, a full relocation for work, so I'm, I'm in a whole new town. I've only been here about a month or so, so I'm definitely behind. But that is uh, typically where I'm at as well. Gotcha. Um, and are you the kind? Are you like a gear nut who likes to change things up every year, or do you once you find something that works, you you stick with it until it gives you a reason not to stick with it? I'm the guy that's kind of always researching. And yeah. so when I'm buying something, I'm kind of, I'm always saving my money and I'll buy it till, and I'll save until I buy what I believe is the best thing out there. Yeah. And I'll stay up on top of everything else and everything new coming out, but I won't change it until it either fails me or I think there's a better option. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And I don't know, like for me, I'm in that period of my life where I can get dialed in fairly accurately and, and make the bow and arrows do what I want them to do. But I always like to tweak my setup. Like last year I went to a four fletch arrow and, you know, tried that out and I, I, I like it. I don't know if it did anything crazy, like accurate, you know, improve my accuracy mm -hmm. that much more, but I always like to tweak my gear just a little bit, or like you said, research it and, you know, try something new if I feel it need, you know, if I, I feel like I want to try it, but I, I don't think I would ever do anything crazy. Uh, like, I don't know, like do, do something so out of my comfort zone and just like start from scratch. I always have like a base and then I tweak just li little things from there. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'm, I'm very similar there as well. What do you just kind of curious, what do you shoot for a sight on your bow? At the moment, I've just got a, uh, a four-pin True Glow on there. It's just one of those things that's been solid enough. It's not all that expensive, but it's uh, it's always got the job done for me. So it's just one of those things that I haven't quite seen the need to upgrade yet. Yeah, so a 20, 30, 40, and 50-yard pin? Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Have you ever had to use your 50-yard pin? I shoot constantly, and I mean, in all honesty, I mean, I'll practice out to 70 and 80 yards oh, and all gotcha. that stuff, but I've, I'll never take a shot at a deer that far, no. Right, right. Do you ever make any trips out west? No, I haven't. Um, I'm still quite young, and I'm only 27 years old, so okay. it's uh, it's well on my list, but I've not made it out there yet. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's start this podcast, right? So you you go, uh, you sent me an email, right, and... Uh, yeah or a message through Facebook and you, you kind of sh walked me through this story of how you and your brother 
um, we're going to start planning to to hunt Iowa, right? So you live in Michigan, right? Yep. Okay. What do you do for a living? So I'm in retail. Um, I work for a company called Gordon Food Service. Um, I, I don't know if you are familiar with them out there or not, but we do run pretty much all down the East Coast, east of the Mississippi anyway. Okay. Um, for the most part, we're a food service provider company, kind of um, you know providing food to schools and restaurants and hotels and that sort of thing, although we do have about 175 um, like retail store locations as well across the country. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I just recently, I was an assistant manager for a couple of years and I just recently got promoted and to a store manager. So I relocated from Mount Pleasant, Michigan down to Portage, Michigan for that. And I've been here about five weeks now. Okay. So you're, you're in a completely new town, but you're in Michigan, right? Yeah. Yep. Still in Michigan. Okay. So you and your brother and, um, what was it? 2012, you guys got together and you're like, okay, we're going to go try to hunt Iowa, right? <laughs> Well, it had been fall of 2013. 2013. Okay. You guys, yep. you said, okay, let's start putting in points for Iowa because that's the promised land. We want to get out there and we want to see what it's all about. Before we get into that though, talk to me about growing up, maybe you and your brother growing up, talk to us about, you know, how hunting was introduced into your life, who your guys' mentors were. Did you come from a hunting family? All that stuff. Yeah, so definitely from a hunting family, um, both of my parents hunted. I mean, my mom was certainly more of a rifle hunter than a bow hunter, but she did do some bow hunting as well. Um, my dad's about as serious about it as it gets. Um, he's kind of all the time, if that makes sense. We just kind of, you know, we grew up with it. And yeah, everybody did it. Our grandpa did it and uncles did it and just everybody. So it was just kind of a, a standard thing for us. Right. Okay. So then you, your dad, your uncles, I mean, it, it was just, you were born into a hunting family and your, your family kind of guided you down the path to hunting, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I believe, and I, so my brother was born on November 2nd and I believe my dad literally had him in the woods with him a couple of weeks later, <laughs> rifle hunting in Michigan. Was uh, What was your brother's name? Gary. Gary. And now... Gary, yep. how how many years older was he than you? Uh, Gary's two years younger than me. Oh, two years younger than you. Okay, I got you. Yep. Okay, so he, your brother was two years younger than you, um, and yep. were you guys together? Because two years isn't like a big, uh, a, a big difference. But when it was hunting season, did your dad have you guys both out together, or did one go with mom and one go with dad, or one go with an uncle, or was it the three of you in a tree stand all the time? Typically, we'd be together if we were going. We'd be together with our dad. It's something that um, so my mom typically got off like Michigan's opening day of rifle season and that sort of thing. She wasn't like an all the time person. Gotcha. Um, I'd have to think we got out with her at some point in time. I don't have distinguished memories of it, if that helps. Yeah. Um, but with our dad, I mean, it was kind of you know, whatever the schedule allowed because we were both in sports and all that stuff. So there were certainly times when we were both out there, and there were times that it would have been just one of us. It was just kind of whatever the uh, schedule dictated. Cool. Cool. So did you and your brother, like, as you guys started to grow up a little bit and, you know, there comes a time where dad, dad kind of leaves the picture a little bit and lets, you know, lets the younger hunters, uh, kind of go on their own and, you know, try to learn themselves or go set up a tree stand or go try a new piece of property. Did you and your brother kind of 
do that together or did one of you maybe i guess go deeper into hunting than the other um, I would say at the beginning, I certainly went deeper into hunting than Gary did at first, um, solely because Gary had a lot more athletic potential than I did. Um, he was getting uh, a lot more potential to uh, to move on in sports and that sort of thing. So there was definitely a, a couple of years there when he was so focused on baseball and football and that sort of thing that he wasn't as deep into the bow hunting as I was. I mean, certainly there, but his training schedule was so nuts. He just, I don't think he could be as involved in it as I was. Right. And that was for the most part in, in like the middle school and high school years. Yeah. That'd have been like high school years, that sort of thing. Okay. So, so then after high school, uh, did, uh, you were already in college and he was going to college. Did he go to college to, to play sports? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Gary went, um, he has played uh, community college baseball, uh, Muskegon community college. It's our hometown. It's uh, Muskegon, gotcha. Muskegon, Michigan, right on the West coast. Gotcha. Okay. So you guys, uh, and then after college, did you guys kind of reconnect and start hunting together again? Well, I ended up, um, this is kind of in college. I ended up, uh, transferring out to West Virginia university. So I was out in West Virginia for about three and a half years. Okay. Um, so, so that made it kind of tough. And that was when I started, uh, I started hunting Ohio at that point in time because, um, WVU sits not too far off the Ohio border. Right. Um, and it was certainly better. So that was one of those things there that in those years, I typically, I'd make like one trip home in the fall and we'd hunt together, you know, just a weekend or something like that. And that'd be about it for a few years there. Okay. So then, and that's kind of interesting, right? I mean, you're fair, you're mm-hmm. come, you come from Michigan, you transfer to, uh, you said West Virginia. Yep. yep. West Virginia. You're, you're fairly close to the Ohio border and then you started hunting Ohio. What was that like hunting those first couple seasons of Ohio when you're when you come from a state like Michigan? That was eye opening to say the least. As it was uh, at that point in time, you know, I had a I had killed in Michigan like a, a seven point buck, and I don't know that I've ever put a tape measure to him, but I'd have to guess he's probably like a, like an 80, 85 inch deer or something like that. Right. Right. And all of a sudden you get to Ohio and you're on public land and it's okay. I've been here for three days and I've seen five of those. Yeah. And that's, it was just kind of eye opening of, Hey, what else is out there? And then you start diving into it from there and realizing that, Hey, Ohio is a great state, but it's got nothing on like an Iowa or a Kansas or something like that. Right. So you and your brother, you know, had this idea, but, who brought it up originally? Like, okay, we need to we need to start going to Iowa. Did did was there ever any conversations that happened um, before you guys actually had the point discussion where it's like, okay, well, let's buy points. No, there was really nothing um, nothing ahead of it. Of course, I mean, you know, we're we're young and we're kids. You kind of always dream about doing this and doing that. Yeah. But when the Iowa thing actually happened, um, that had been on December 19th of 2013. He called me to ask me what I wanted for Christmas that year. Okay. And it's, you know, I'd only been like, you know, it's only been like six weeks that I got back to my first hunt in Iowa or in Ohio. And I'm still trying to like process just how great the hunting there was. And I was like, dude, you know, I mean, I know Iowa is even better than Ohio. So let's just skip the Christmas presents this year and let's buy our first Iowa point. It's going to take four years anyway. And you know, we'll figure out the rest as far as getting there as we go, but we can't do anything without a point. So let's just do that this year. Gotcha. And he was on board for that. And that was December 19th, 2013. 2013. Okay. So yep. you had this point discussion with your brother 
on December 19th, 2015. Now, tell us the tell us the story about what happened in the the following couple days. The December 21st, my brother actually passed away. Um, there's a it's kind of a big long story to go into it. Um, unfortunately, his death was a homicide. He was actually shot. Okay. Um, if you Google him, his name's Gary O'Green. You can still Google him today, and you can read all about it. But um, you know, it's not too hard to find. You'll get all kinds of resources about it. But once that happened for me, it was kind of, uh, of course, it was the last thing that we had talked about. So for me, I was kind of all in on, hey, you know, one way or another, Iowa is happening. So you got it. You added. You had it in your brain that you know it was a plan that you and your brother were going to. You, you and your brother were going to hunt Iowa, and now, what was that like? I mean, was it you had blinders on and it was your only goal in life, or were you conscious about continuing the rest of your life? Because I can see how some people would just get hyper focused on. I'm going to hunt Iowa. That's all I want to do. Anything else doesn't matter anymore. Um, it was certainly a bit of that. Um, I mean, I had other goals in life and other things I had going on for sure. But as far as like, you know, outside of um, like my relationship with my wife and work and that sort of thing, that was certainly a, a top priority there. And right. it was one of those things that I absolutely knew that, you know, one way or another, I was going to be in Iowa as soon as possible. It was definitely going to happen and nothing was going to stop that. Mm -hmm. So that year, 2000, uh, 2015, uh, 2013, 13, right. So that year, 2013, it was too late for that would have been in the spring of 14. We bought the first one. And um, just going back on that, I mean, even I remember like the day my brother passed away is, you know, my wife and I were still living in West Virginia and we're driving back. And I hadn't even told my wife that we agreed to buy this point yet. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I remember telling her in the car, hey, I talked to Gary two days ago and we talked about, you know, we're going to go to Iowa and we're going to buy points. So as I could like, just say, so you know, like I'm doing this now and I'm buying a point and uh, here this spring and probably four, maybe five years from now, I'm going to go to Iowa. Yeah. Um, I, take it, I take it she was fairly supportive in that. She was, I mean, I, I, it's very distinct still in my mind that she was, well, yes, you are going to Iowa, but, uh, I originally told her I was going alone and she was, you're not going alone. I don't care who goes with you, but you're not going by yourself. And that was just her worried being, uh, her being worried about my safety, of course. Right. Right. Absolutely. So with that said, did you talk with anybody else about joining you on this trip? Yeah. Yep. Um, I've got a couple friends that, uh, my buddy Jeremiah who ended up going with me and, uh, my friend Joel as well, that are both awful serious, uh, bow hunters. And they were the guys that really got me into, um, as far as just knowing like what's actually out there and, and you know, being able to pass deer and focusing on some quality bucks and that sort of thing. And, uh, Jeremiah and I had already hunted Ohio together. So, I mean, we knew we did well in camp together and, uh, uh, we knew how to have a good time and all that stuff. So, uh, those two guys are certainly on the top of my list and, uh, my buddy Joel wasn't able to make it work. So he was out, but Jeremiah was in. And the only thing there was that, uh, Jeremiah and his dad, Heath had been discussing it between the two of them already about going to Iowa at some point in time. So that was all Jeremiah asked me was if uh, his dad could come along too, which of course is fine with me. So, 
So from that point on, you're locked, right? I mean, you're locked in and you have a group of guys and now comes the research, right? Yep. Did, how did that start for you uh, and and your group of people? Because you know, you know, from doing research that, you know, you buy your first point in 2014, you may have up to four, maybe depending on where you put in for points for maybe five years to to actually draw to hunt so there's a lot of time where you can actually start researching planning preparation looking at maps all that stuff so what was your first step after you bought that point oh first right away was um first thing for me was that i had already known that don't ask me how i knew but i knew that i was divided into zones right so right away it was let's figure out the zones and get this place narrowed down to some zones and of course it doesn't take very long to figure out zones four and zones five are pretty much where it's at. Yeah. Um, and of course that's just, you know, you're going to run across all kinds of discussion forums and, uh, you know, everything else like that all over the internet. And I couldn't even tell you how many different ones I was on. Um, but it, it certainly didn't take me too long to figure out that either one to be in zone four or in zone five. Gotcha. Now as a resident of Iowa, I can tell you that yes, there is public land, there's not a lot of it compared to, let's say, out west, right? I think Iowa has yep. somewhere around 2%. The entire state is 2% public ground. And whether that's state or federal, whatever, there is not a lot of it compared to the rest of the state. So now you're talking about either finding a good chunk of public or a, you know, a, a chunk of public or starting that process where you're going to start knocking on doors or, or trying to get connections or whatnot. What did you guys think was going to happen, you know, right off the bat? Did you think you were going to try to find some public? Did you have some contacts for public or for private? Um, I kind of did, actually. Um, I've got a friend from high school that actually lives out in Iowa. He is not a deer hunter at all. Gotcha. Um, but happens to live out there. Um, and so I, I touched base with him right away just to see if he happened to know anybody out there and um, didn't know any private landowners per se, but was able to uh, get us in touch with some uh, um, some friends of his that did hunt that could certainly get us pointed into a, a right direction for some public land. Gotcha. And and that was something I guess you know he did have friends that were landowners I should say or had contacts that were, but in the zones that they were in up in a uh, little north farther north in Iowa they were hey you'll be better off on the public land down south than you would be up here. Right. So as as what did you accomplish other than buying the point in the spring? What were, what was maybe a big thing that you accomplished or like a checkbox that you marked in 2014 from a, a planning or preparation standpoint? It would be that it would be getting those points in and narrowing it down to uh, zone four and zone five. And let's start scouring every piece of public ground we can find in zone four and zone five. Okay. Did you take any trips out there other than maybe some online, online uh, scouting? Nope. We had never been out there until we actually hunted. Okay. So everything you did was digital. Yep. Okay. All right. So you narrowed it down in 2014. You, you narrowed it down to zone four or zone five. Um, mm-hmm. So fast forward another year, it's 2015 what was going on uh, for this trip uh, for 2015? 
we're basically still in the same mode at that point. It was, you know, once uh, once May comes around, it's time to buy another point. And uh, touching base with Jeremiah and Heath and making sure they do those. Of course, it's all done separately. You don't actually do anything as a group until you're actually putting in for the tag. Right. And, of course, we knew we weren't drawing at that point in time. Uh, I had found the uh, the chart that year that showed, you know, uh, how many people drew with X amount of points the previous year. And just going off of that, I would tell you, you know, we had no chance that year, which I was pretty certain of already. Yep. Yep. Um, and from there it was just continuing. I mean, just continuing to, to make a list of every piece of public ground we could find and continue to look over them, look over the topography of them and, uh, get ideas of uh, where you could access it at, uh, you know, what might be hard to access that kind of thing. So you were, you were still scouring everything in that, in those oh, two yeah. zones. Cause before we started recording, you mentioned that since your brother's death, you you did something to plan this hunt every single day so oh, yeah. was was this what you did every single day because oh, I, yeah. I tell you what i can get on google maps and i can i can spend hours on google maps or mm-hmm. you know gis sites yeah. or whatever is that what you did yeah, yep, and I would, and and I eventually just printed off a map of every single place that I can find, and yeah, I'd look at them, and I'd look at them again, you know, I might look at one for two, three days straight, and I might not come back to it for a couple of weeks, right. um, just to see, hey, what did I, what was I overlooking last time, you know, it's going to really stand out now, Okay. Um, but yeah, I certainly looked at something every single day. Gotcha, so then... 2014, 2015, you have almost two, two whole years into... You know, you put two years into looking online at maps and, and private ground. Did anything stick out in your head or get your attention? And maybe you, you put that map or that area to the side as a a priority list of, I want to check this place out for sure or bring it to the table when you guys start having your discussions of where you actually want to go. Yeah, I would say by that point in time, we had a pretty good idea that we wanted to go in zone five. Okay. Um, and that really came down to looking at the chart and seeing that it was statistically slightly more difficult to get a tag in five than it is in zone four. Yep. Um, you can still draw with three points in uh, either one, of course, but um, better chance to draw with three points in zone four than you do in zone five. Okay. And so, of course, it, it makes more sense that that would be the better hunting in zone five. In zone five. Okay. So when you guys started this process of putting in points, when you bought your first point, what were you expecting? How many years were you expecting to put in points for before you actually drew? I was actually expecting to draw in three and um, with three points. So draw in four years, three points. Gotcha. And that's actually, we lucked out and that's what we did. Okay. So the, so in two years, you narrowed it down from zone four and five to just zone five. Um, yep. So that rules out. So you're able to take all the maps and just kind of push them to the side of everything that you researched in zone four. So now you're hyper, yep. now you're hyper focused on zone five. By the time you decided that, did you have any specific public land pieces or any leads on a private? private ground to or maybe did you guys ever look at leases or outfitters no we never looked at that that was just something that 
I mean, I don't have any issues with outfitters or anything like that. Just not really our styles. Just gotcha. kind of, uh, and public land is kind of what we wanted to do. It's what we had done in Ohio for a few years at that point. And, uh, you yeah, know, we enjoyed it. We enjoyed the challenge of that. And it was kind of, uh, you know, going out and killing deer on public lands, just really doing something, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So did you, how many, how many pieces in zone five did you kind of had narrowed down by this point? Probably five or six, five or six different pieces. And were they yep. all within like a centralized location or were they, like big drives from each other for each other. A couple of them were pretty close. Um, probably two or three of them were fairly close to each other. And the other ones would be, uh, they'd be taking a bit of a drive, but it was something where, you know, if we're driving from Iowa to Michigan, what's driving another 45 minutes to a different piece of public land once you're there, you know? Right. Absolutely. Um, we weren't too concerned about that. So other than finding the hunting ground, now we're going to start talking a little bit about logistics that you and mm-hmm. your your buddies have to go through. Like, are you camping? Are you renting a hotel? Are you bringing a camper? The food situation, you know, the bathroom situation. Yep. Uh, walk us through th- that portion of the, of the decision-making process. Yeah, so originally we had been working on uh, just trying to figure that out. Um, in Ohio, we'd always rented a cabin at one of the state parks, and it worked really well. So we had started looking into that and seeing you know, what uh, what state parks had that sort of thing available out in Iowa, or camping if need be, and just looking into all these things. And then out of the blue one day, Jeremiah calls me and he says, hey, uh, my dad found this cabin for rent out there. He just took care of it. He paid for it. It's not too far away from our three main areas. He said, don't worry about it. He's got it. It's all set. Bingo. And and that was that. And it was like, sweet, thanks, Heath. We're good. Cool. So so you had zone, let's see, zone five. You had two points. So when you put in for your third point, you mm-hmm. it wasn't a preference point anymore. You were putting in with that point, right? So let's see, 2000 and. 13 let's see no 2014 was point one 2015 yep. was point uh was point two, two. uh yep. 16 was point three and the application to draw right i know it would have been 2017 was oh, okay. we had three points and we were putting in for the for the actual tag at that point okay so four years so um you're paying for you're paying for you're, you're paying to draw on your fourth year. Okay. Yep. That's correct. Okay. So 16 point number three, anything significant happen in that, that year, as far as planning preparation, um, like where, where you were going to hunt. Um, yeah, that was, um, at that point in time, we were starting to get to, uh, actually picking out stand sites on maps and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, and just finding pinch points and funnels and that sort of thing of just spots. And, um, you know, we kind of had them marked on a, Hey, this is absolutely, you know, we're checking, this is a priority something we're going to check out right away. Like day one, gotcha. we're checking out this one and kind of backup plans and that sort of thing. Okay. Did you talk with any like wildlife biologists or state park representatives or I don't know, um, people in the area to try to get a idea of is this pressured public land is it a big chunk of public land what's the terrain like because as you know i can look at a map i can read topo lines but yep that changes when boots are on the ground right yep so did you make any 
contact out in Iowa in that area to try to, you know, get more information? Yeah, I did make a phone call out there at one point in time to, uh, to one of the DNR offices. I forget exactly which city covered the area, but whoever it was, I called and spoke to somebody there. Um, and they kind of gave me an idea of what the topography was like and, uh, just kind of what I, what sort of expectations I should have out there. And, um, and it wasn't anything crazy. Um, you know, we told him we were planning on being out there for nine, 10 days, something like that. And he was, if you've got nine, 10 days of good all day sits in you, you should get a crack at a good one. Okay. And that, that was pretty, pretty reassuring. I, I bet. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So with that said, what did you expect at this time as far as a caliber of deer? I mean, were you looking for age class? Were you looking for uh, maybe not necessarily age class, but antler size? What were what was your goal? Um, it was certainly, I guess for me personally, it was certainly just going on the hunt was it for me. If it right. was, that was, that was the last, you know, the last thing with my brother and I really didn't care if I killed anything at all. It was, I was simply going to go because we agreed to go. Right. And that was it for me. Um, as far as if the opportunity actually came to, to kill one, I was pretty set on it was going to be a three and a half or better. And if I, and ideally I'd want a four and a half year old deer. Um, but if it was, if it was the right three and a half year old, yeah, I'd take them. If it was, you know, an impressive one, I would certainly take them. Gotcha. Okay. So then you're, you're looking at these maps in, in fine detail. Did you find some really good locations that you felt that maybe a weren't going to get pressured and B would be good deer movement based off of, like, say, like you said, funnels, pinch point ridges and whatnot. Yeah. Yep. And I believe I have to count mine again, but I believe when I went out there, I had like 27 or 28 potential tree stand sites wow. already picked out. Wow. I mean, I had a ton of them all over zone five, um, was not messing around at all. I've never asked Jeremiah or Heath how many they had picked out, but just knowing the two and how hard they go, I'd bet you anything they were in a similar boat. Wow. And we had, and I think, you know, we got out there and, you know, Jeremiah and I, cause Jeremiah got out there at least two days ahead of me. Um, he had a longer vacation than I did. Right. And we pulled up our Hunteras, uh, or not Hunteras, um, Onyx maps to compare our maps next to each other. And we had five or six spots that we had both picked out completely <laughs> on our own. You know, we hadn't even discussed. Right. And so that was kind of funny. And there was one that, the one that really stood out to me that I found and I was like, holy cow, that's the spot. I'm probably just going to have to go right there and I'll be left alone. That's where I'm going to kill my deer at. And lo and behold, you get out there and there was tree stands all over the thing. Right. And it was just just total no-go. And I was, well, there was surprise number one for me. Right. Right. So back, backing up just a bit, you guys yeah. put in for a group draw, right? Yep. Okay. So there's three of you in a group draw for this 2017 season. And mm-hmm. that happens in May. All right. Yep. Okay. So when you actually drew Iowa, you got the email. It said, congratulations, you, you know, your draw was successful. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of emotions were running through your mind or what was thoughts in regards to your brother and how this was kind of your guys's trip? Well, there's a, there's a funny story there. I mean, of course for me, it was just kind of happy. It was definitely happy. It was one of those things that 
if it didn't come then, it was going to come the following year. And yeah. I'm a very patient person. So it's one of those things that I was happy, but there was nothing like ecstatic or anything like that. Right. Um, the funny story behind that is the day that that got released was actually Jeremiah's wedding day. Okay. <laughs> um, so I got to walk up to him right at his wedding and say, guess what? You're the only guy in the world who can draw a zone five Iowa tag and have it be the second best thing to happen to you today. <laughs> and that was how he found out. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think a lot of guys would think that would be the best thing that would happen to them on that, on that day. Probably, but probably <laughs> not the case for him. But yeah, a lot of people, I bet you you're right. 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 So, so now, now it's go time, right? You got, yeah. you've. I mean, you've done the research, you've checked the maps. Yep. I mean, you've, yeah. it's May. So as far as gear was concerned, I know we talked a little bit about that at the beginning of the, the podcast here, but did you have everything that you needed for a trip? Like something like this, like the run and gun tree stands, the, you know, the clothing, the, all the gear, all that stuff. Did you have everything or did you still need to buy some additional equipment? No, I was pretty much good to go at that point. I'd been working on that for four years and, you know, buying the uh, the equipment I thought I would need at that point in time. So it was something that I went out there with a lone wolf alpha and four sticks for that run and gun thing. I had a summit climber already if I wanted to go that route. And I had a millennium M100 if I found that spot that I was going to go sit in all day. Gotcha. And so I had all that covered. I had the camo covered and I was good to go at that point. So <laughs> it sounds to me like you were ready in May. Yeah. So that, that weight, that weight between when you drew the rest of the spring, all summer, and I take it you didn't go in October at all, did you? Nope. Okay. So what, what, what was the, uh, the dates of your trip? Uh, the, I'm trying to think November 3rd was when I left and I headed out there Okay. and I came back on the 12th. Okay. So you were there for... You were there for nine days, right? Yep. And they were out there three days ahead of you? Uh, Jeremiah got out there two days ahead of me. I believe Heath was one day ahead of me. Okay. And we were all coming from different places. It was uh, Jeremiah uh, lives way up in northern Michigan. I was like dead center of the state at that point in time. And Heath was actually working out in Pennsylvania, I believe, or eastern Ohio or something like that. So we were all driving separate and meeting up out there. Okay, cool. So, I mean, with that said, then... They got out there. Uh, I mean, you guys, you guys were, or where was I getting with this? I was getting with the, what was going through your mind from when you drew to like the day before? I mean, was it, did it consume you? Was it something that you thought about every single day and you just kept going over scenarios in your head? Did you hype yourself up too much? Did you like force yourself to downplay it or Talk to us about what was going through your head in that, that wait between successful draw to the day you left. For the most part in that, um, I was pretty much on autopilot at that point. It was something that, you know, I was still looking at things, making sure that I didn't overlook something, still looking at maps every day, that kind of thing. But I don't know that I changed anything in there. For the most part, it was, I had done the work and I was just waiting. Right. Um, up to the day before being, I left in the third, November 2nd was my brother's birthday. And every year from when he died on, you know, those four years in between, I always went and, uh, my dad's got some land and, uh, on the West side of Michigan, um, around Ludington area, if you know where that's at. Okay. Um, 
and I used to go up there on my brother's birthday every year and I'd, I'd sit all day in his spot. And I had done that for a few years. And with my work schedule and getting ready to leave on vacation, I couldn't do it this year. So it was something where it was like, Hey, it's November 2nd. It's my brother's birthday. And I'm finally leaving tomorrow to go to Iowa to fulfill the last thing. So that was a, that was a happy thing for me. Yeah. Okay. So you're in the car, you're driving or the day before whatever you start to look at the weather maps, right? Or you've probably, you're probably, you've probably been looking at weather maps well beyond there, but what was, yeah, we were a month out. We were looking at weather already. (laughs) (laughs) What was the weather going to be like for that nine day period? Couldn't have asked for anything better. I mean, I think there was a day or two in the forties times it got down into the teens. Um, but for the most part, high twenties, low thirties, exactly what you could want for that. And if first, I, second week in November. And if I can remember, you know, I did, I think I killed, I don't even remember when I killed my buck this year is the seventh or eighth or something like that. And yeah, I would, it was just when you walk outside and you look up in the, and you can see the pressure is high because you can see so many stars in the sky. Mm-hmm. Right. I just yep. know that that day is going to be a good day in the tree stand. So, yep you're going to nail it for weather, right? Yeah. As you start driving closer and closer to Iowa, did you just get more hyped up or did you become hyper-focused? What was, what was your mindset at that point? No, at the most part, I said I was relaxed and I was happy. It really was. Cause it was, cause like I said, I mean, I had no pressure to kill a deer. It was, it was literally just getting there was all I wanted to do. Right. It, it didn't matter to me if I killed one or not. So I was actually quite relaxed. I was excited just to see what it was like. Certainly okay. excited. But, so, um, but no real pressure or anything like that. Gotcha. So, I mean, it wasn't even about a harvesting a buck at that point. It was just fulfilling a conversation that you had with your brother. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it was um, exactly it was fulfilling that for me. I was fully prepared to eat the tag if I had to. I was certain. And we were coming back with a deer in some way or another because Jeremiah is an absolute killer. It's just what he does. Every place we go, Jeremiah gets a good deer. Yeah. Um, so I was, we were going to have a successful trip one way or another. Gotcha. So you got there, right? And you had guys there a couple days before you. What, what did they report when you finally showed up to Iowa? Oh, they were calling me already when they were already out there. I mean, Jeremiah's first day out there, he called me and he was like, dude, it is insane. I have seen so many bucks here. I, I don't even know <laughs> what to do. And he's just, just never seen anything like it. He's like, everywhere you go, there's another big buck running around. And, you know, he's talking about all these rubs he's finding and the scrapes. And, and he's like, Lance, he's like, there are, there are rubs out here on trees on like actual full grown mature trees. And yeah. like, that's a real thing. I just <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So then you got there. Did they did they fill you in on maybe like what was working? Was calling working? Was rattling working? Um, you know what kind of terrain you should focus on when you're walking into the timber? Anything like that? So it was. So I got there late at night on the third. So there's no hunting on the third for me. So it was just kind of getting up to date on what they had seen, where they had already been. And that's when, you know, I mentioned earlier that the first place I had picked out that I thought was going to be great was full of stands because Jeremiah had already scouted it for me. Right. Um, and, and so those guys were great about that. Those first couple of days, that's really what they were doing was working on finding spots for all of us and checking out all of our research. So right. they might have hunted that evening, I believe, but that was it. For the most part, they were just doing boots on the ground, verifying what we had found on the maps. Perfect. Perfect. So did you go hunting that morning of the 4th then? 
I did. Yep. So I kind of had that debate of, you know, what do I want to do? Do I want to just wait for the sunrise and go scout some of my areas? Do I want to hunt? And eventually, you know, Jeremiah kind of talked me into hunting. He was, Hey, I got a place scouted out. We can go. Um, I'll put you in it and I'll come back and get you and we'll go from there for day one and we'll scout in the afternoon. Gotcha. And that was what we did. Okay. So you, you showed up. What did you see that first morning? I saw like two does that were a mile away and that was it. Other than that, the woods were dead. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So you get out of the tree, you start scouting. Um, what did you find anything on the evening of the fourth, uh, on, you know, as far as a place to set up or did you kind of, that's when I, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say that the evening of the fourth or the afternoon, I should say, so I didn't see anything in the morning, the afternoon, uh, we went and checked out what was going to be my plan B. So like I said, we already ruled out what I thought was going to be my great spot. Um, checked it out. Everything looked promising, but there's, there's just so much going on there. And it's just like, there's, it was almost like it was hard to find a real trail just because like they're, they're just going in so many places. It was really hard to, to really narrow anything down. So it was basically like I found a good spot where I could, I could get up and I could see a lot. So basically up on a ridge top, I could see a field um, that was technically on private land. Of course, I was sitting right kind of on the edge of public, probably 50, 60 yards off the uh, off of a private land border, where I could still glass into this field, and I could see a couple of ridge tops on pub, on uh, public land where I was as well. So that was kind of my thought for that night. Okay, well, let's get up here and see what we see and see what I can learn. Gotcha. So, what did you see that night? I had a hunt of my life that night. Um, I, I was sitting there and I could have swore I started hearing two bucks fighting and, and I'm trying to listen and I'm like, I'm sure it's two bucks fighting. I can't see anything. I got the binos up and eventually they worked their way off of this uh, ridge side down into that field on private land. And there were just two stud bucks out there. And I still think they got to be 150, 160 class bucks going at it. Awesome. And I mean, giving it everything they got for, I mean, a good 10, 15 minutes until one finally chased the other one off. Um, at that point, I, I hit a grunt call right away. As soon as he ran off the other one, I was, let's see if I can call this guy up here. And he started coming. And I'm kind of sitting right on the edge of this draw, and he started coming and heading right up to it. And, I mean, he was coming now. And he got probably 65, 75 yards out, something like that. And all of a sudden, he locked up, and he looked back behind him. I never saw another deer, but the only thing I could think of was that one he was just fighting had circled back around or something. Cause in an instant he took off and he was gone in that direction again. So did, when you saw those bucks and I, I don't know what, you know, from being from Michigan and, and hunting some public ground in, in Ohio or hunting in Ohio, were those, was, were those some of the biggest bucks you'd ever seen at that point in your life? Yeah, they they were probably the second and third biggest. I think I had seen one in Ohio that was bigger than that. Can't swear to it, but they were certainly in those top few anyway. Yeah. So you're just like, oh, my God, this is awesome. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're sitting in the tree, did did your brother cross your mind at all? Um, a little bit. Yeah, yeah he certainly did. Cause it was kind of that, uh, you know, certainly wishing that he was there for that, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, gotcha. All right. So you saw these deer. Was it a place that you wanted to go back to the next morning? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, so I got back to, to our cabin that night. I told Keith and Jeremiah, Hey guys, um, I'm going to be in there all day tomorrow. 
the weather's going to suck. It was going to be cold. And we had like high winds that day, like high 20 miles an hour. But I was like, I'm still going to go sit right there all day long. Right. Right. And see what happens. Okay. So what did, so did you go, so you went back into that same, uh, that same area Were you in a different tree? No, I went back. Um, I did go to a different tree, but only um, a little bit closer to that draw where that buck was coming up. Um, okay. Where had he had coming up that same thing again, I would have got a shot at him. Um, and yeah, I sat there all day, and I believe I saw like twenty-one or twenty-two does that day, and that was it. No antlers. No antlers, but there, but there was some no. some deer in the area. Exactly, and it was you know as a non-resident, like I had a doe tag, and I kept thinking about shooting one of these does, but I'm like, you know what? at the end of the day, it's one of these does is going to be hot eventually. So I'm just going to hang out and wait. Gotcha. Okay. So when you, when you saw all those does, because during the rut, does are a good sign. Did you decide to go back to that same area again the next day? Or did you go want to go try someplace else? I decided, um, the next morning it was, I was going to go in there and see what I could and try to set up and make a kind of similar, make a small move again, um, on that same area. And then it was, I was going to sit for just a short morning hunt and kind of scout the back side of the ridges in the afternoon and make my plan for the evening. Okay. So with, with that said, how big of an area were you working with here where you were seeing all these deer from an acreage standpoint? I mean, the, the whole piece of public ground was a pretty big chunk, but I would guess the, the section that I was working in probably, I don't know, I'd, I'd be surprised if it was more than 100, in all honesty, 100, 150 maybe, okay. but relatively small. All hardwoods or like from the, the public yeah. ground was all hardwoods? Yeah, yep. Other than that field that I could see that was private down there, everything else is hardwoods. Gotcha. So it sounds to me like they were betting in public and then going to eat on uh, everything was kind of moving on to private as the the evening went on yep exactly okay cool all right so what'd you what'd you see that day so when i went out that following morning there was actually another hunter there already in my spot uh, another guy from michigan actually okay um so i got out there and so i didn't hunt didn't want he was already there he already beat me there so i didn't hunt or anything didn't want to mess him up so i basically just hung out and waited until about nine nine thirty and um, caught him coming out of the woods actually and talked to him and got to meet him and all that stuff. Gotcha. Um, so that was cool. Got to exchange some good information and, uh, learn what they were seeing and that sort of thing. And, and we did, we helped each other out on that. And, uh, I went scouting from there. Gotcha. Uh, were you in a tree that night or did you just scout till dark? No. So what had actually happened there was, um, the guy I met from Michigan, his name was Joe, and he was actually out there with um, Adam Parr from Transition Wild and Quiet Cat and all that. No doubt. Um, yeah. So that's how I met them. Um, I still stay in contact with Joe and Adam now. It's, um, that's how I met those guys. <laughs> that's a small world, dude. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you ain't kidding. So so that's been cool now. So I've made a couple friends out of the deal, and we still talk every couple weeks now. Nice. Um, cool. So... Um, when Joe was in that morning, kind of, he was kind of scouting, wasn't actually hunting. Like I figured he was, he was kind of, uh, almost like a slow hunting scouting kind of combo mission. And he had kicked up a couple of bucks, uh, I think three or four of them, uh, right out of their beds back in the, uh, the same way that I wanted to go scout that afternoon. Um, 
he was gracious enough that he was already planning on going to check out another area. And what he saw, I said, wasn't anything super great. One good one in there was a nothing too ridiculous. And he just told me where he found him at and, you know, said he'd leave it for me. And, and that was that. So, um, when I went in to kind of scout it more, I ended up, I got to imagine spooking the same exact deer. Um, they didn't take off on me, but they, they definitely knew something was up when they stood up, but I was kind of able to, to kind of crouch down and hide behind this log and they ended up bedding right back down. And at that point in time, it was probably two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon at that point, And it was, okay, I'm going to back out of here now and I'm going to come back and be right back in this funnel tomorrow morning. Okay. Ideally first thing in the morning, although it didn't work out that way. Right. So your idea was you're going to lay off the evening hunt in that area and yep. come back in the morning and try to cut them off coming to their beds. Exactly. Yep. Okay. And did that idea work? Yes and no. Um, so my plan was to get out there like an hour before dark and just, or before light and just be out there way early in the morning and get there long before them. And it didn't work out. I don't know exactly what slowed me down or if I just lost track of time or what it was, but I actually got out there late. Um, and I have this goofy thing about me. I always have that when a hunt starts off bad, I love it. I end up having a great hunt every time. Whenever something bad happens, something good ends up happening to me in the long run. So what happened that was so, bad? I, I got out there late. It was, uh, it was already uh, first light by the time I got to the tree. Okay. So you didn't um, had to it set was up. legal light. Yeah. Yep. I wasn't even set up yet. I was, um, starting to climb the tree. I couldn't have been, I don't know, 12, maybe 14 feet off the ground when I heard a deer coming and coming quick. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm like sitting there trying to pull up my bow. I'm using my climber. I'm trying to pull my bow up as quick as I can. I can see it's a doe, but the way she's running, I'm assuming there's a buck behind her. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, there was, and there was a stud of a buck behind her. I've got to think he was all a 160, um, just a huge, heavy mass, dark racked buck. Um, certainly the closest I'd ever been to any deer like that. Right. And I was able to get my bow up and everything and get drawn before he got there, but I couldn't stop him. Oh, and I'm like borderline yelling at him, like just trying to stop this deer. And he never stopped. He stayed hot on that doe right behind her. I got no shot, and just as fast as he was there, he was gone. Yeah. Man, I tell you what, yeah. I had a buck in, I want to say like 2014, run by my tree, and I was mm-hmm. literally screaming at him to stop, and he did not stop. Just kept trotting. Yeah. Exact, probably exact same thing, kind of what, like what was going on with yep. you. But So that was kind of depressing, uh, I take it, yep. <laughs> not being able to stop him, but... How did the rest of that morning hunt go? From there, I'm I'm contemplating what to do. I'm like, I'm only 14 feet off the ground. I'm like, do I climb up to like a typical 20, 22 feet where I like to be? Or, or do I just sit here in case another one's coming? Or, or what do I do? And and I, I just decide, you know what, I'm just going to stay here for a few minutes and see what happens. I just put my, my bow down on my, uh, I screw in a hanger or uh, hook the hanger up, hang my bow on it, and I hear another deer coming. And I grab my binoculars and I look and I just see a fairly long main beam. And I thought, all right, here we go. Here's another one. And this year's following the same path. It's like, I know he's going to follow the still do the same path. I know he's going to do the exact same thing. So I grabbed the bow and I got drawn and same thing. I'm trying to grunt and I'm trying to stop him. And he finally gets to the last one, the last clear lane that I have, at least what I thought was a clear lane. And 
I'm like yelling at him and finally he locks up. And so he stops, but his whole head's behind a tree. So I can't see what he is. I can see basically the back of his shoulders on back. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've got a clear shot, but I'm, I'm not hundred percent certain what this deer is. And I kind of thought about it for a second and I'm looking at his, his belly line and his back and from what I can see in his hind quarters and the length of his legs and everything else. And I determined, you know what, yeah, that's gotta be a three-year-old deer. It's gotta be. And ultimately it's a 20 yard shot and it's gotta be a three-year-old deer. We're in Iowa. So more than likely it's the biggest deer in my life. <laughs> um, I mean, I've seen the main beam on him. I know it's, that's fairly long. Like, yeah, let's take the shot. I take a shot, and next thing I'm seeing is uh, my veins kind of kicking off of a branch. Oh. But I still hear my arrow connect. I know I hit the deer, but I have no idea where. Yeah. And so you kind of have that heart-sinking moment of, did I just wound this thing? Yeah. And he doesn't really, I mean, does a bit of a mule kick, and he only runs another 20, 30 yards, and he stops and kind of slowly walks off into the thicket. And I, in all honesty, thought, hey, he's going to lay down in there and die. And I'll give him a little bit, and I'll sneak out of here, go get uh, Jeremiah and Heath, and uh, we'll come back and get him. Right. And that wasn't exactly how it played out either, <laughs> although. Uh, it never um, does. No, no, never does. And the arrow ended up hitting him further back, and thankfully it caught the back of his liver yep. and went further back into him. Okay. Um, our blood was almost non-existent at first. Um, and I, I fully believe that if it wasn't for Heath, I don't know how Heath found the blood of this deer because it got to a point where we, we weren't finding any blood at all at the beginning. And Heath was simply following the literal tracks of the deer. And he eventually started finding drops of blood. Gotcha. And I, I fully believe if it wasn't for Heath, I wouldn't have found the deer. Wow. But then we get up there and uh, you know, we finally make it to him. Jeremiah spots him first. So... You know, we're having the celebratory high fives and the hugs and all that. And he's got the video camera out so I can go lay my hands on this deer. And I get like five feet from him, Dan, and the buck jumps off and takes off. <laughs> oh, yes. Been laying there dead the whole time. I mean, and the amount of noise we're making and not moving and just them reaching down to grab him, he jumps up and he's gone. Did you poop your pants? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I was like, you know, just like that, like my Iowa buck is gone. He launched and, out of there and, and ran. Oh, yeah. And he probably made it. I, I'm trying to think. We had, uh, we arranged him at this point in time. I mean, you could tell he was hurt bad. He, yeah. I think he made it like 80 yards and he went back down again. But he went down and bedded down, but he's still looking at us. Yeah. And he's got his head up and he's staring at us and trying to figure out what to do there. And, and, I'm reverting back to Heath. Of course, he's the oldest one. He's Jeremiah's dad. He's got the experience. And, and Heath says, you know, let's back out of here. We'll come back and get him in a couple hours. Um, Jeremiah is very much on the, let's talk him and put a couple of arrows in him now and end it. Yeah, yeah. And so we have this great debate. I finally get convinced of, yes, let's do that. He's got the video camera so he can actually film this, and that'll be cool, which we ended up doing. And it ended up being just that of like slowly stalking up on him. And I actually ended up putting a few more arrows into him until before he finally died. Man. But yeah, it was his will to live was certainly amazing. Right. So you, you finally got him, right? He, he expires. Yeah. 
You go yep. to put your hands on him for the first time. This time it's legit. You, you're able to touch him. Yes. So, yep. so was your assumptions correct after you had time to look at him? Uh, did you think that this was a three-year-old deer? Oh, absolutely. I thought it was like three-year-old deer. I was quite confident he wouldn't make Pope and Young, but he'd be he'd be in the vicinity for sure. Right. Okay. Cool, man. That's awesome. Uh, so then, yeah. with you know, with that said. Any type of emotions of, you know, of your brother or any thoughts like that that were running through your head at that time? Uh, certainly uh, a joy there. Absolutely. Yeah. As it was, uh, like I said, you know, I, I had no one, I had no um, expectations for actually killing a deer. So it was kind of that amazement of, of how it all came together, you know? Right. Uh, I mean, you know, how could it really have been any better than that to actually carry out the trip and get a deer? Like we're not going home empty handed now. Right. So it wasn't even about the deer, it sounds like, right? I mean, the trip no, the trip no. was the successful part. Exactly. Yep. Simply going on the trip made me successful. That's what I cared about. Right. So what was that, three days or four days worth of hunting? And then you finally... That was day four, November 7th, when I killed him. Okay, November 7th. And so you guys drag him out, you know, tag him up, drag him out, do what you do with the deer... And yep. so now you got all this time left. What did you do? Just, just hang around at camp or did you go out with your buddies or did you go scout for them or what? Yeah. So, uh, we did a bit of everything. It was kind of on, uh, you know, Heath and, uh, Jeremiah were both, they were seeing deer and they were seeing good deer and, and just, uh, good deer and couldn't quite get uh, a shot on one yet. I believe at that point, Jeremiah had let one go that was bigger than mine. Certainly, I did it would have made Pope and Young, and he got video of it and all that stuff. And we were telling him he was insane for letting the deer go. Um, but you know, he's whatever. That's that's Jeremiah. He said he he kills all the time. He knows what he's doing. Yep. <laughs> um, so I was kind of in a um, you know I'm going to hang out at camp. I'm going to cook the meals and do the dishes and just try to make life easier for these guys and scout if they need it and and do whatever. That was my role from then on. Cool. And it's kind of, that's kind of a cool role too. You know, whenever you go yeah. on, you know, these, these hunting trips, even for me, when I, when I tag out early, there's no pressure to do anything else other than to make sure that, you know, you get the meat cut up and you get the, exactly. you know, like for me, you know, I want to make sure if I'm going to mount it, I get, can get the cape off it and, and the antlers to the taxidermist in time before things start going bad. So it's, uh, yep. it's, the pressure's all gone at that point. Um, so how did the rest of the guys at camp do? It, it got crazy from there. I mean, uh, Jeremiah had been out doing some door knocking and, uh, he got some permission on a small farm and he was actually seeing some good bucks there. And, um, him and Heath were both hunting that kind of back and forth, you know, one was taking it for the morning, one for the evening when they don't want to be on public land and, they're both seeing deer and there was one night he's got video of a great 10 point buck, uh, a real nice one. And it was actually on the neighbor's farm. One of those things where Heath and all honesty could have killed the deer, but it wasn't on the farm that we had permission to be on. Yep. And so he just got video of it. The deer never crossed the line and he let the deer go. And that was that. And I believe it was day. I'm trying to think here. I'd have been, I believe it would have been day seven or day eight. There was a farm that Jeremiah had been looking at on a map and he kept saying he was going to stop out there and talk to this landowner and he hadn't done it and hadn't done it. And finally he was, all right, today I'm going to go knock on it. I'm going to go talk to this landowner. So he does that. And next thing we're getting a phone call and he was, dude, 
just talked to this farm, this uh, farm owner, and uh, they told me to kill all the deer here and to make sure we take any shed antlers too, because they're nothing more than a flat tire waiting to happen to them. <laughs> Bingo. Was, all right. So he hunts it that night and I think he saw like 10 bucks that night or 11 bucks that night and just no shot opportunities. Right. But some really great bucks. He heads out the next morning, moves to stand just a touch. I mean, I think like, I think he moved to like a 10 or 15 yards or something like that. If I remember correctly. And probably 10, 10 30 in the morning, I would guess I get a phone call and he says, Lance, I just stuck the biggest buck I've ever seen in my life. Oh boy. And I was, how, how big are we talking chair? And he said, he's at least 170. Yeah. And, and I said, nah, no way, man, you're crazy. And and I'm just, and he said, yeah, I said, he said, I guess maybe he could be 160s, but he said, I, I think he's in the 170s. And it was just, just no way. And it was, like I said, I shouldn't have doubted him because this is Jeremiah, it's what he does. Um, we end up going and his dad's down in a, a public land spot. So we go find him, we get Heath and we head back there and I said, Heath's the blood trailing expert here. So we get him going on this and it's not long when it was, Oh, Jeremiah, you double lung this buck. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. And cause we got great blood and deer didn't end up making it too far. I mean, he probably only made it 80, 90 yards from where Jeremiah hit him. And I spotted his buck first and I, I just saw like this literal wall of times. And <laughs> the only way we could describe it is like, you know, like when you look at like, and you have like full signal on your cell phone and you look at those bars. Yep. It was like that. Wow. It was just, holy cow. Yeah. And the pictures you sent. So we get impressive. up there and of course, yeah. Yep. And, and of course we're looking at this deer and it was just, you know, none of us had ever seen anything like it in person and we're, yeah, that deer is 170 inch deer. Yeah. It's gotta be. And I, it just, I mean, so heavy and so big. And I mean, I ended up back at camp putting a tape measure on the base of its neck and it was 32 inches. Just unbelievable. Huge. That's gigantic. And Oh yeah. Yeah. Just absolutely gigantic. And None of us, I mean, we just, we didn't even know. It's just, you know, how old is this deer? What does he actually score? It's just, you know, somebody that we know actually killed this thing. Yeah. And, and after, of course, all those celebratory high fives and the hugs and getting the recovery all on video. And, um, of course we took just a ton of pictures as you can imagine, yep. um, from every which way and angle you can imagine because buck of a lifetime. And we go and we get it all field dressed out and all that. And we're working on dragging it out in this property. The, uh, the farmer has, there's one of those classic uh, Iowa kind of deep ditches that runs through it. Yep. So we're sitting there and, and trying to figure out where we're going to cross this thing. It's a big drop down and a big hill up. And this buck is huge. And yep. it was, how are we going to get this deer up the other side? And all of a sudden he says, well, what's that buck down there? And here lays another buck dead in the ditch and another giant and we get down there and and look at this thing and he's for sure 18 legal points he might have had 21 um even more mass than what jeremiah's buck had or has um got to be 160 inch deer maybe another 170 inch deer um just got it all he's got sticker points and kickers i mean a seven inch drop tying off the left g2 just everything you can imagine and 
we flip it over and the deer like rigor hasn't even set in yet. So it's fairly fresh and we're looking over the deer and it had been gut shot. Um, only thing we could figure was it was either shot from a long way off or a low poundage bow because the arrow did not pass through. It only had an entrance wound. Okay. But certainly gut shot with a broadhead. And it's just unreal. Now we found this, you know, and it's like, and what do we do from there? Yeah. <laughs> and so, of course, we take more pictures of that deer because it's just too incredible not to. Um, try to figure out what we can do. And, you know, we're trying to get Jeremiah's buck out of here, but still get um, Heath set up on this farm tonight because Jeremiah's seen so many other good deer. It was, hey, Heath might as well hunt here now mm-hmm. until the trip ends. So that was the route that we went. We got Jeremiah's buck out, loaded up into the truck, um, got Heath back in a stand in the same tree or near it to where Jeremiah was. And Jeremiah and I started, uh, and we first we went and thanked the landowner, um, let them know that Jeremiah got the buck. And then we went, started talking to neighbors to see if we could figure out whose deer we found. Right. And we went like three miles in each direction, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we actually found two people that knew the buck. Well, they had trail camera pictures on them, but claimed it wasn't them that shot them. And we never did find who shot that deer. Wow. That is crazy. Um, yeah. Yep. No one claimed them. And at that point it was like, okay, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's been cold enough. I mean, I said rigor hadn't even set on the deer's fresh and it was, and I guess let's call the DNR and see if we can get a salvage tag for it. And, you know, we'll at least use the meat and it's yeah. a cool deer. And we were informed that non-residents are not allowed to have those. Oh, okay. And it was, and it was that deer's got to stay there. And, and that's why I don't know. Like I said, I mean, for sure, 18 legal points for sure, maybe 21, but we don't know that deer had to stay there in that ditch. Well, that kind of sucks. Was, it sure does. Really sucks for somebody. I mean, I'd like to know who shot it, but. Yeah, or at least the, the landowner could have got a salvage tag for it. Yeah, something, and, and that was something they weren't interested in that. Huh. Man. Anyway, and, how did uh, yep. how'd your buddy's dad do the rest of the vacation then? So final day, I got up early and started driving back to Michigan. Uh, they had one more day than I did, and I was just outside of Chicago, and I got a phone call saying that Heath had just stuck a, a good 10 point. Nice. And um, by the time all was said and done, and they actually got him back, they, they were able to go find a, uh, um, a taxidermist there in southern Iowa that was willing to keep them all out and everything because of the, uh, the CWD restriction here in Michigan. We can't bring whole carcasses back. Yep, yep. And... Um, we were able to get them all, um, scored up there roughly and, uh, and all that good stuff. And the amazement just continued when, uh, starting off with Jeremiah's buck, um, that buck ended up being measured at 181 and five eighths. So bigger than 170. Wow. Yep, Yep, exactly. So it was like, wow, we underestimated this thing. Um, that taxidermist was actually a retired taxidermist and had a couple, uh, at least one Boone and Crockett entry of his own. I mean, he was a very knowledgeable guy. Yep. He said Jeremiah's buck was at a bare minimum eight and a half years old, probably nine and a half. Wow. Um, just going off the teeth on it. Yeah. That's and his buck ended up coming in at 144 inches even. Nice. Cool, man. Well, sounds like that overall was a successful trip, man. Yeah, that was uh, that was the crazy thing about it. It was like, how do uh, how do three guys go into a state they've never been to before and all tag out? It was just incredible. Something I'm sure we'll never top. Right, right. But the cool thing is, is it sounds to me like you have a 
groundwork laid for the your, next time you go out to Iowa, you're going to be knocking on this farmer's door again and trying to, you know, hunt it again because it sounds like the, you know, the year that you, you guys went there, that farm was loaded. Yep. Yeah, and, and that was something that uh, before leaving, uh, stopped in and talked to that landowner, and they told us we were welcome back anytime, and we could shed hunt it and all that stuff. Awesome. So hopefully we'll get a trip out there to do that in the spring as well. Cool, man. Cool, man. Well, I tell you what, I really appreciate you taking time to uh, hop on the podcast and share this story with us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Monday's podcast is in the books. Huge shout out to Lance for coming on, sharing his story. Huge shout out to all of you who have taken time to listen. Please subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation Whitetail and Big Game Feed podcast. You're getting two RSS feeds with multiple podcasts, just great content like this story today. Gear, I'm going to be doing a lot of gear coming up uh, in the in the summer months we got to get gear talk going because uh, a lot of us are starting to think about purchases Uh, and so if you have a company that you want to have on the podcast you want me to interview them please send me a pm either on facebook or instagram whatever and uh, or a dm pm dm whatever Uh, let me know what companies you want i can reach out to them and uh, we can go from there Also, huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Ozonix, Wasp Archery, Ripcord Archery, Exodus Trail Cameras, Deer Lab, Lone Wolf, Ozonix, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Ripcord. Okay, that's it. Um, Huge shout out to those companies. Huge shout out to the, the network partner, the network partners, Deer Lab and Interstate Batteries. Man, I tell you what, this would not be happening if it wasn't for Interstate Batteries. So huge shout out to them. Huge shout out to my wife and my kids and my mom and my dad and all those other people in my life who have put me into the position that I'm in today. And I don't know where I'm going with this, but go to iTunes, leave a review, tell us how much you like this podcast. Spread the word, man. Just spread the word. Uh, I'm happy where it's at, but we can go further than where we're at. I think that's it, man. So if you're going to be in a tree, doing some prep work, moving some tree stands, checking them out, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.